Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Pyramid Air. At Pyramid Air, they believe air guns are for everyone, from big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at PyramidAir.com. And also, Sun South. Everyone loves the great outdoors, but let's face it, the heat can be brutal for those never-ending summer projects. At Sun South, they get it. With fast and efficient John Deere equipment from Sun South, you'll spend less time sweating and more time doing. And with 0% financing up to 72 months on select equipment, you'll not only save time, you'll save money, and that's pretty cool. Do more and save more with John Deere from SunSouth. Equipment for those that do. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Expires July 31st, 2021. And also brush clearing services. If you've been considering forestry mulching, don't forget there is no substitute for horsepower. Brush clearing services provides high output, high production forestry mulchers from three to 600 horsepower. Smaller skid steer mulcher runtime rates may be lower, but BCS production will be two to three times more than these smaller machines. BCS prides itself on providing dependable equipment to ensure project completion is on time and under budget. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. I'm Joe Baia here with my co-host Clint Flowers. And you know, it's uh, it's hot here in the South, but that ain't stopping me, man. I'm going to my place this weekend, start doing some spraying, meeting the timber guy up there, meeting the forester. We're going to get a look at the timber and got a few harvests planned. Hopefully this summer, if things dry out, if, if things go the way they are, I, I don't think I'm going to be in there this year. But one of the things I'm also interested in seeing is uh, if I've got hogs right now. Uh, you know, the last time I was there, I saw some some limited uh, hog activity. But if I see a lot of that, I'm planning on nipping that in the bud as quickly and as often as I can. And one of the things that you can use to do that is, of course, hog traps. I've seen a lot of different designs out there. I've seen a lot of different techniques. You know, we just did the show on uh, on coyote trapping. There's oftentimes a lot more to it than maybe just circling up some feed and and hoping for the best. Have you been up to your place? Are you guys having a, having a hog problem with all this wet weather? Uh, it definitely makes them a lot more transient right now when these rivers are up, pushing them out of the river swamps. I was out on a track this morning that we're converting a 90-acre hay field to a 90-acre peanut field. And that was part of our conversation is how much influx did we expect from the hogs once we do that compared to when it was in hay. And uh, we're expecting some, and you know we're going to try to put together a plan to help curb that as soon as it starts. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's not something I think that's going away anytime soon. Is something's going to take constant management. And so today we're really going to dig in to wild hog trapping, design techniques, really everything you'd want to know. And to do that, our guest this week is Tony DeNicola. He's the founder and CEO of White Buffalo Inc. and Pig Brig Trap System. But before we get there, let's go check in and get another current timber market update Joining us today is Jonathan Smith, the Executive Director of Timbermark South for this week's current timber market prices update for the state of Louisiana. Jonathan, welcome back to Huntland. What's been happening in Louisiana and uh, what period of time are we going to be looking at today? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, today, we're going to be looking at uh, first quarter 2021 uh, prices for Louisiana at the state level. Well, how are we doing on the pine products? And then, you know, moving on into hardwood, are we seeing any, any uptick? Uh, not, not really. 
Louisiana prices are pretty flat. Pine saw timber, I'll give you those prices. Your pine saw timber price was $24.60. Pine chipping saw was $14.75. And pine pulpwood at $4.23. Your hardwood products, uh, hardwood saw timber, still your highest value product in the woods at $32.32. And uh, hardwood pulpwood at $8.03. So looking at those, how they compare, your pine has been basically flat compared to the previous four quarters as well as quarter over quarter. Your chipping saw and pulp wood are down slightly compared to those same time periods. When we talked last time about Arkansas, uh, we'd seen a little bit of an uptick in the pine products, uh, excluding pulp wood from that. Why do you think that they're flat in Louisiana, yet we are seeing that uptick in Arkansas? What are the differences between those two states? Louisiana is pretty diverse you know you you've got uh, the upper portion of the boot if you will and then you got the toe of the boot and they're pretty different geographies um, and so those marketplaces uh, work kind of differently as well so when you put that together it kind of averages out it works itself out manages or equalizes the product price Jonathan do you see anything happening in the market coming to market or leaving the market you know mill wise or or any other news that could affect things well yeah you know louisiana too has had some some news recently international paper announced 52 million dollar uh, upgrade to their recovery boiler system in bogalusa um, that will also make some enhancements to their paper making process then you have florida parishes forest products that they proposed a new sawmill in Greensburg, Louisiana, that again is in Louisiana too. That was a third quarter announcement, but from everything that we can read, that is still a go. And uh, they have a 2022 startup planned. Then you've also got Warehouser has announced some expansions at their Holden Mill in Louisiana too. That's a multi-year project that's going to modernize that mill. What they've announced that they're planning to do is optimize their product mix so that they can be more diversified in the products that they're taking in there, as well as being able to more efficiently process the logs. Uh, And that should add about 100 uh, million board feet to their current mill capacity. So that's a pretty big announcement there. If you look at your smaller diver stuff, DRAC, uh, has announced plans for an expansion at Urania. Uh, that's in Louisiana 1, uh, and that should increase about 130,000 tons of capacity at that facility. Man, it sounds like the, the capacity is going up big time. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the pulp market and the, you know, everybody's seen the lumber prices, I think, by now. Is there any indication that those markets are going to trickle down to the landowners in Louisiana or elsewhere? I mean, have you seen any trends in the past? Uh, is there any correlation between, let's just use lumber, for example, any correlation between lumber and timber prices in the short or the long term? There used to be. There used to be a pretty direct correlation uh, pre-recession. And then during the recession, things fell so quickly that uh, landowners began to hold those products on the stump. And again, we, the trees continue to grow uh, when we don't cut them. So that, you know, that held that wall of wood, if you will, on the uh, out there and available, that resource is still available. 
But we've got a really strong market in the southeast. What we're seeing is that markets work and investment is following the resource. So, you know, if you look at Louisiana and you see that they've got the average or below average prices for their products, it's not a surprise to see investment in that area so that those uh, meals can take advantage of, of those products and that available resource. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the correlation right now seems to be that you're seeing, like you say, you're seeing investment in additional capacity, which if we're oversupplied, so to speak, with timber, then that's going to help with that problem, if you want to call it that. Hopefully so. Uh, From a landowner's perspective, having a meal in your area is a good thing. Eventually, they will need your trees that you have growing, hopefully. Well, Jonathan, thanks for giving us a Timber Market update again this month, man. If folks want to get up with you guys and take a look at a subscription to Timber Mart South to stay up to date on all these prices and, and news and market trends and everything we talked about here today uh, for their own state, uh, how can they do that? Good deal. Thanks for having me on today. And the uh, best way to get in touch with us is through our website, uh, www.timbermart-south.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to you. and. Uh, getting you signed up for a subscription. All right. Well, this week's current timber market update has been brought to you by Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Photonist 16 millimeter filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18 millimeter image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent, halo and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16 millimeter monocular, the PD Pro B 16 millimeter binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At Bucks Island, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats. New and used motors as well as kayaks for sale. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats. They can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also, Intercoastal Safaris. So you're at the beach and fishing isn't quite your thing? That's fine. Let's head one hour north of Panama City Beach and shoot some pigs. Intercoastal Safaris has night vision and all-you-can-shoot ammo, and yep, They're shooting ARs. There's no trophy fees and no bag limits. Night vision pig hunts with AR-15s one hour north of the Emerald Coast. Head over to intercoastalsafaris.com to find out more. All right, folks. Today, we're really going to dig in to wild hog trapping, design techniques, really everything you'd want to know. And to do that, our guest this week is Tony DeNicola. He's the founder and CEO of White Buffalo Inc. and Pig Brig Trap Systems. Tony, welcome to Hunting Land, man. To start things off, tell us a little bit about White Buffalo and and then how you got into pig brig. You bet, Joe. Um, So uh, not to bore people, but uh, I'm trained as an ecologist and we started a research, a wildlife research organization back in 1995, so some time ago. And part of that 
is really focused on elimination of what we call non-native ungulates, right? That's pigs, that's non-deer in areas they are not native, elk, goats. And we started working with pigs on the islands off the coast of California in the mid-90s. And that's where we had our first introduction to pig trapping and pig biology and impacts. And we've been on that trajectory for the last 25 years. And so our research organization, you know, having been involved with this, we run into some really challenging projects. You know, we're dealing with, you know, hundreds of, of thousands of acres of, of uh, remote areas where we have to kill every last animal. And that requires some, uh, I call it tenacity, but also some ingenuity. So we need to develop new technologies and products in order to allow us to be successful in areas that no one had historically. Uh, and one of those uh, was the development of the pig trap that we'll be discussing today, uh, where we, are tr- we were contracted to eliminate all the pigs that are non-native on Guam uh, from one of the large uh, military installations. And we were uh, confronted with a, a new uh, situation where our conventional corral traps that most people have used or, or on the market wouldn't suffice in the circumstance. So my first career, um, which I'm trying to wind down a little bit, is led into uh, another puzzle to be solved. So uh, glad to share it with you. Well, I'm glad that you come at it from the ecology side because, uh, you know, I mean, I got to be honest, like me as a hunter, I don't mind having a pig around here or there. It's another target. I love eating them, but I've seen the damage they can do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to even say that on the air, you know, cause I know I just frustrated some people when I say that, but the reality is they're, they're a cool animal. I mean, they're very smart. They are uh, prolific. I mean, you have to kind of be appreciative of the, what all they can overcome as, as it goes with habitats and challenges. And they just really <laughs> seem to excel all the way around. But, you know, one of the things that, that makes me want to get after them is the damage that they're doing to habitat. We're losing habitat enough already. We need to thwart anything that is causing more habitat loss. And pigs are part of that. So, Tell me a little bit about the damage that feral hogs do. I mean, you've been able to see their damage really in all over the world, sounds like. So what's the biggest problem that they're causing? And again, it really comes, depends, as you said, depends on your perspective, right? You might be a hunter that is focused solely on that recreational aspect. You might be appreciative of ecology. You might be a farmer. You might be a golf course owner. You might be a residential landowner, right? But from an ecological perspective, which ties into hunting, as we know, they eat just about anything, right? So whether that's turkey or quail eggs, whether that's competing with acorns uh, and hickory nuts that deer may consume uh, or turkeys, um, you know, whether it's foraging or, or wallowing in um, endangered or threatened or rare species habitats and, and directly destroying those, those vegetation uh, communities, about everything they do is impacting. And like you said, you know, it's not like you dislike the animal, right? It's, it's there. They are fascinating and amazing, like every uh, wild animal. But, you know, at the same time, they're not native, right? right. They, they were brought into the United States. They're native in Europe. They're native in Asia, uh, Russia. But here, the other species and vegetation did not evolve with those animals in the landscape. Uh, and it gives them what we call an unfair advantage over other natural plant and animal species. So I think that's probably the biggest thing to take home is they are non-native. We do like them to hunt, but um, we have to balance 
you know, that recreational interest with, you know, the ecological impacts that they present. I think on our side too, you know, Clint and I both selling land. I don't know about you, Clint, where I sell land, I'd say it's about 50, 50. If I, if somebody asks me if a property's got pigs on it, I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm answering them. Yeah. And I'm kind of like waiting to see what their mouth does. You know, some <laughs> of them smile and say, all right, you know, but other folks are like, oh crap. So, you know, it, it's kind of a toss up as to whether or not it makes your land more marketable. What about you, Clint? I mean, do you think it's making your land more or less valuable? It's usually about a some balance. I mean, you know, everybody, like when I was younger, you know, before anybody really understood how invasive they were, there was people catching them and moving them to their property, trying to get them on there. And, you know, to think about doing that today is just blasphemous and illegal. But, you know, we just couldn't fathom that today. But you get people from out of outside of the southeast, you know, up north and, and place like that, they look at feral hogs as some kind of exotic. And that's really what they want. You know, they've got big deer up there and, and ducks and everything else, but they don't have feral hogs yet. But so they're they're They like having them. And I don't mind having them, but it's, it's you know, I don't want hundreds of them. I want to see one on occasion. And, and, you know, I don't know that we'll ever be able to really have that kind of balance. But if you do have a some kind of a hog management plan in place from a trapping or some kind of population control, so you could have a few here and there, that'd be ideal. Um, but, you know, we're still all searching for that that way to find that balance without being detrimental to other, other wildlife and other habitat, you know, like we just mentioned. What do you think, Tony? I mean, you've seen it from, like you mentioned, Guam to the islands of California, and I'm sure you're seeing it in the Southeast like we are. Uh, are hogs hurting land values? Um, as Clint said, I think it's in the eye of the beholder. And as far as I look at, again, as Clint mentioned, moderation. Right? We have, you know, we work with a lot of deer problems in suburbia, and everyone loves the deer until they're up to their ears and they can't grow anything and they're hitting them with their cars. You look at suburban, you know, goose populations that uh, some is nice, but, um, you know, thousands of them are, are problematic. So um, I really do think that more people would find themselves in a better place and, and having more appropriate balance with their land uses in moderation, right? There were some to hunt, but not too many to grow crops or uh, impact your, your other wildlife species. Um, and I think there's ways to do that. If you take the initiative to, uh, you know, you're going to have to trap, right? You can shoot some, everyone that goes out and tries to shoot pigs. You can shoot some pigs, but uh, you're not going to keep up with them. Um, so it really is, you know, someone's going to have to initiate some trapping, keep those numbers in check. So, you know, the, the farmers next door and the, and the wildlife on your property, uh, if you're not farming, all can uh, live in, in reasonable degree of harmony. I like that answer. And I like your ecological approach, too, because... We essentially are the apex predator. We manipulate habitats. We manipulate habitats on purpose in favor of the wildlife. We also manipulate habitats for our benefit and turning what should be a forest into a residential area uh, or a commercial area. And we disrupt some of those habitats. And like you said, give those those animals, uh, whether that's pigs or predators, unfair advantages against native prey animals, against native plant communities. And the thought that we can just sit back and not manage either, whether it's predators or pigs, I mean, pigs really are a predator. The thought that we can just sit back and not do anything about it is not being, it's really not being a good land steward. And this whole entire podcast is, is really dedicated to doing that and, and speaking to landowners. So I, th I think we can see that hogs are 
and can be a problem, but if kept in, in a solid management, they can also just become a part of the landscape that doesn't have to be as harmful. So let's talk about trapping. I mean, that's really what we're here to talk about. Techniques uh, is something that I don't hear a whole lot about when it comes to hog traps. I mean, we see a lot of, of marketing out there that it's just kind of like, yep, set up a trap and put some feed in it and here they come. But is there more to it in that, than that? I mean, do you have, say, an optimal time, whether that's time of the year or, or time uh, you know, of the day that you want to trap? Take me through your technique. In the ideal world, which never works, you're going to trap when there's the least amount of natural food, which pretty much everywhere, even down south, that's going to be December, late December through, let's say, early April. That's your optimal trapping period. So regardless of when pigs might be impacting your hunting opportunities, whether that's competing with acorns in the fall, whether that's predating on um, livestock uh, offspring, you really want to have your your trapping efforts focused in the winter. Uh, That's going to give you the the best return on your effort, right? Pigs are going to be hungrier. They're going to come to bait more readily. They're going to be less leery uh, of any trap in the forest uh, or in the fields. And so if you have the time, which is good for farmers and often hunters, you know, after the you know deer season closes down the end of January, depending on your state, that's when you want to be out transitioning those baiting activities to focus on, on pigs. And in many states where baiting's legal uh, for deer, you're going to want to, you know, just take those deer bait sites. And, and, and now that those pigs are, have been eating your deer bait for the last three or four months, you know, now you can turn the tide on them and, and really put the, the trapping pressure on. In terms of location, like we've got intersections that are always hit by really everything from the coyotes to the hogs and deer, turkey. Uh, and then we've got those major kind of food plot sites on us. And obviously agricultural fields will be prime areas. But how do you pick the best location to set up in? I mean, are you looking for those traffic areas or feed areas or what are you looking for? I think the, the best strategy in general is find where the pigs are feed, Right. You know, whether that's in the forest eating acorns at certain times of year, whether that's in fields, but you always want to bring the trap to the location where those pigs are most comfortable, right? The more, just like deer hunting, right? This is, the, you know, as Joe said early on, you know, it's take some hunting strategy, no different than trapping, you know, read the animal's behavior, think about its vulnerabilities, right? That's really what you're trying to do is manipulate an animal. And so, we can calculate when that animal is least leery, most vulnerable to being cold harvested, trapped, whatever you're trying to do. So bring it in their backyard, bring it to the into the wallows, bring it into the woods, you know, where those animals are active before dark, feel more comfortable than being out in the middle of a food plot, you know, or out in the middle of an ag field. That's the way to, to minimize that early aversion to a you know a foreign object in the landscape. So you know, and you're going to see these, you know, you're going to see runs, right? Just like deer runs, they're going from food to bedding. And so, but the closer you are to their bedding, the more comfortable they'll be, right? But the quickest way to figure out where the pigs are most active is just look for their rooting behavior, whether that's in an ag field, tearing up your food plot, uh, or rooting around in the forest uh, for acorns, bring your trap right to them, right? Because they're foraging there. Now you're just adding a, a new substance, what, you know, maybe we'll talk about this later, is just the basic whole kernel corn, right? Get that out there, get those animals overlapping their, their feeding behavior with your bait. And then 
once they're comfortable and, and you see that with camera data and you see that with consumption, now they're, you lessen their guard, right? You lessen their guard with that bait. And next thing you know, you know, you, you're basically um, bringing them into a, a situation that they don't realize uh, that it's, you know, bad juju for them. Tony, you know, we just did a show on uh, coyote trapping. And one of the things that was surprising to me with our guest that week was really the lack of interest in controlling human scent uh, when it came to coyote trapping. I mean, uh, us as deer hunters were focused on that constantly. Pigs have an excellent sense of smell. Uh, when you're setting up a trap, how important is is it to you to to manage your scent? And And then second to that is, how long do you want that trap to be in place? Uh, I mean, do you set it immediately or are you trying to let them kind of get used to the trap itself or your scent? What's your strategy there? So typically, unless you know, you've been running pigs hard with dogs, you know, you're hunting them hard over bait, they're not going to have that specific aversion to human scent. And you're already going to be setting a feeder up, putting materials in there with human scent on it, you know, and you're moving that as the pigs move. So it's not like you set your tree stand in August and you, you know, clear a, a travel lane for you to get in quietly and with minimal scent, you, know, you don't have that option here. Typically human scent's not an issue. Occasionally you'll have some smart pigs that have been hunted and chased with dogs and failed trapping efforts. And those animals will be leery. And so those, sometimes you may set a trap and we have folks that will just set it and disappear for two or three days. And it'll take that long for those pigs to realize, hey, a human hasn't been back in here. And then they'll go in the trap. But most of the time, human scent's really a non-issue with your pre-baiting because you're going in there every day or you've got your spin feeder working. So uh, not something that's a serious consideration. So you mentioned the the pre-baiting and, and, and leaving, uh, leaving the area human-free for a while. How long does it take typically? Uh, if you set that trap, uh, you bait it. I mean, are, are those pigs going to immediately be comfortable with it, or does it take a few days? Well, the reason I ask is a lot of guys are like me. You know, got two young kids and pretty much can only get to my land on on a long weekend. So I'm curious, like, am I going to be effective if I've only got three days to trap, or do I need to plan, you know, plan a longer stay around a trapping event? So you're pre baiting. The typical rhythm, unless again, you have unusual levels of, of shooting, if you're deer hunting over bait and now somebody's shooting pigs over bait, yeah, they get pretty smart to bait being not a good thing, right? So it depends on the, their history of exposure to human threats. Um, but typically people bait four or five days and you can just set a spin feeder up, or maybe there's already a spin feeder for deer um, in place. And then it typically takes about two to three days once they've been consuming that pre-bait you know, which usually to get them comfortable, probably four or five days. So you can set your bait out on a weekend, keep your spin feeder going. And then the following weekend, you can set your trap up. And if the deer are naive, you might be able to make a set by, you know, by Saturday night. Uh, yeah. To pick the leery, you may keep your spin feeder going, leave your trap set up in the, what we call conditioning phase, right? Animals coming in, they're feeding around the trap. And then that subsequent weekend, when you get back, then you make your set. So it really depends on how far you're driving, you know, and that's where the remote technologies of spin feeders and cameras uh, become helpful in uh, being more efficient in that trapping process. Absolutely. So let's talk about design a little bit. Your trap's interesting looking uh, in terms of it's, it seems to be different. So tell me about why you built 
the pig brig the way you did? Was there, were there failed attempts? What, what did you learn about the animal and why did you build it the way that you did? And are you finding good success with it too? You know, I mean, that's the other thing you've used this a lot, obviously. What can folks expect out of a trap? So take a little back uh, step in time. When we were doing our original work on the Channel Islands in California, we used conventional metal traps, right? Build a corral, and then you can use swing gates, drop gates, remote release gates, any of a spectrum of, of methods, you know, to entice uh, animals into that trap and then release the door, whether they're releasing it with their feeding behavior or whether you're remotely releasing it. That was standard, and that's been standard until two years ago till we developed this trap. And those traps are great, right? They work well. But, you know, and there's, and the nice thing is companies have come out with these remote control release doors so that you can get the whole sounder. I mean, that's always what we've had to do in order to kill every last pig on a huge area. You can't make mistakes. You need to make sure the whole sounder is in before you capture them. So you don't have animals smart uh, to that tool, right? And so in that regard, you really have to make sure your trapping system can afford you that option. And most of these uh, metal corral systems uh, can accomplish that. They're great tools. I was very pleased that they became commercially available to the general public because we've always used them professionally. But when we developed this, the, the pig brig, it was somewhat accidental, you know, using net versus metal panels because of the remoteness of the location due to the terrain, trying to get, you know, metal panels into a jungle with very uneven and challenging root systems and rocks. So imagine trying to build a metal cage. You can't just put it in the middle of a food plot or a, a plowed field. It was, there was a lot of swearing going on. And so, uh, you know, that's when we started thinking about still using a door, but instead of the pan, the metal panels using netting. And, uh, and on the first night of capture with our new setup, it was really, sounds kind of, corny but it was like it was mind-blowing the pig showed up that night you figured they go right through the the guillotine door we built and no every pig that came in went underneath the net versus through an open door and we were just like holy smoke so that that's when the light bulb obviously went off we don't need a door right so the advantage of this trap is they can come from 360 degrees you know a lot of trap systems the metal trap systems try to have multiple doors so pigs are more comfortable going in our whole trap is an open door, right? It's super lightweight. You know, we could, you know, the price point is well less than half of these metal trap systems. Kind of like with Clint, I can't see Clint on the screen here, you know, because you don't get cell reception. Yeah. I don't know if y'all, you know, made the, the uh, you know, Verizon and AT&T mad over something down South, but uh, I think they forgot to put cell towers up in most of the uh, Southeastern states. So, you yeah. know, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> We got all this big, we got all this big, healthy timber getting in the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. At least you make some money on it. But, but you know, it, it is a challenge because then you have to put your trap where there's cell reception versus put your trap, like we talked about earlier, where it's most effective to catch right. pigs. Um, so all those things, you know, it wasn't as though I thought of all those things in advance or had a checklist and I came up with this magical solution. Uh, really, the trap itself you know, solved all those problems, uh, just by its simple design. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, if, if, if you haven't checked it out, I mean, pigbrig.com I imagine has everything they would need to know. Is that, is that the right URL, Tony? It is. And, and, uh, what I try to express to people is, you know, I had a, a previous career 
and um, and I've designed custom capture equipment from dart guns and designed custom bullets for our lethal work. So when we came up with this trap design, we've always kept our technologies in-house to, to give us a superior competition edge. But this trap was just way, way too slick. And, uh, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't need one more thing to do. But uh, our thought was, you know, at the price point, ease of use and versatility, you know, we really wanted to have a trap you know, for the average landowner, not someone that's super wealthy, not someone in government that can afford a $5,000 or $8,000 trap, you know, something that the average landowner can grab their UTV or ATV, set it up, be effective. And as we discussed earlier, kill enough pigs on their property where they can have their, their healthy forests and healthy native wildlife and not, um, and not spend a lot of money or time doing it. Yeah. I've watched a, a friend and a client of mine, it's actually the first time I, I learned about you guys was he was posting videos from his pig rigs on his property. And I got completely entranced watching some of these big boars trying to get out of that deck because, you know, your your mind says, oh, well, the big ones can get out or they can break it or they can get up. Nope. <laughs> it was it was like watching America's Funniest Videos, watching <laughs> these huge boars try to get out of there. And uh, I was like, man, this is incredible. And then when you really buckle down and see how easy it is for a normal person to go set up by themselves compared to the conventional setups, I was like, all right, I'm in. We're going to get some of these. Well, and the cool thing, too, is that, like you said, Tony, I mean, because of where the price point is, you could have if your if your budget is your budget, you can have twice as many as what you could with a remote trap. And with pigs, I mean, a lot of times that's the nature of the beast is being able to uh, have multiple trapping locations. I mean, a lot of our guys are dealing with multiple sounders of pigs. That's going to be a great thing. Just being able to have multiple setups, easy to put up. I know I've put up my share of of corrals and I'd like to prevent having to do that anymore, especially in the heat of of the South. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, it really is a cool design and Clint talking about, you know, seeing these, these traps work, catching these pigs, are you able to catch the whole sounder? I mean, you mentioned that really being the most important part. Is there anything you can do either with your setup or with your strategy to ensure that or, or, or better succeed at that? Yeah. And, and again, for us, this effort of, of starting another business and, and designing a trap and refining it and going through patents and all the, the, the amount of work that you couldn't really appreciate to start another small business, we did it because this thing works. It's not a deer whistle that you put on your car and you sell to people and they think they're not going to you know, hit a deer when they drive down the highway. It's, it's just remarkable. And so we do get complete sounder captures. We've, had, we've got probably over 600 customers. I get you know, emails and texts and video every day. You know, I try, always try to emphasize, hey, was every pig on that camera before you set that trap in that trap when you got there? And if not, why? And the biggest thing is, You need to condition pigs with any trap. You want to watch them on the camera and get them to the point where they're underneath that net, the net's on their back, their head's down feeding. As soon as you see that on the camera, game's over. They're going to push right in, that net's down, and and the whole group will go in. And and, And even more importantly, which we've seen, is not only do you get that first group where you would, with a, you know, conventional remote release system, you'd catch that sounder. And not many folks are going to go out at two in the morning, kill those pigs, reset the trap, you know, and try to catch another group. We'll see another group show up and they'll push in. So in the morning, wow. you've got everything that's been used in that location. And it's really been uh, enjoyable to watch people be successful. That's cool. You know, 
we talked about where to put the trap. Uh, you're talking about the different phases of setting the trap, which I think sounds like it's very important to understand what you're trying to accomplish there. So that, like you said, you can ensure you get the entire sounder. You mentioned earlier whole kernel corn. Uh, I know the hogs love that. I mean, is there anything more to, to baiting a trap than just spreading some corn? Um, you have anything to add to, to the baiting discussion? I think there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to call them rumors or myths, but you know, the research shows, and there's another big research trial going on right now at the University of Georgia, you know, doing side-by-side comparisons, whole kernel corn to putting molasses on it, Kool-Aid on it, you know, souring the corn, um, any of a multitude. People use motor oil, diesel fuel, you know, and everyone's got their own cocktail. But I think when, when it comes down to it, just plain old whole kernel corn, pigs will get on it. You know, you could throw in some you know, some apples, you know, if you get them at the store, you know, a couple little things to add enticement, particularly in the summer. So right now people are planting, there's a lot of crops, there's a lot of forage out there. You know, so sometimes some little sweeteners or, or little variations or treats might be just enough to get their attention and get them hooked on your bait and get them coming in. I've definitely seen that to some extent, you know, you're talking about like kind of just sweetening the pot a little bit. And, uh, and earlier you know, you're talking about wind trap but you know ideal being when there's least amount of forage in the woods so you've got the trap you've picked the location you've got it baited you understand when you need to set it you set it you catch some pigs you you kind of alluded to it a little earlier all right now we got to kill these pigs i've heard a lot of different things it seems like it's almost like an old wives tales like oh once you kill the pigs you got to move the trap pigs are smart you know they they know is that true? Do you have to move that trap once you've, once you've killed some pigs? Not that we've seen. You know, it's more an issue of if you have pigs in the trap, like a metal trap, and they're panicked and other pigs show up, or a portion of the pigs don't go in a metal trap, then it's going to be really hard to get them to go in in the future. But I just got a text this morning from a, a professional in, in Louisiana. He just got the sixth catch in the last probably three weeks, the same location. Nice. Uh, I've had numerous uh, folks, you know, have those same successes. The key is, is gathering that information up front. So when you're putting that bait out um, or you already have good camera data from deer hunting, how many pigs are coming into that site, right? And maybe they're coming in different groups. Maybe there's social tension, so they won't be in the same spot at the same time. So maybe you catch one group that's more dominant and then keep baiting. And then the second group will, will come become more patterned let them come in and kill them. And then you might get some wandering boars coming in. Uh, so it really depends on what that in the uh, camera data intelligence you're gathering during the baiting phase will tell you whether or not, hey, you caught everything that was there, or you know what, we need to give a little more time because we didn't get that big black boar you know, that we had seen intermittently. Um, so it really is getting the information in advance before you continue to make the set. And it's not as though you didn't catch more pigs because they're weren't more there were more pigs there it's because you caught them all and you know it's time to move the trap to a new location all right so i think we pretty well understand how to set the trap where to set the trap what to bait it with that kind of thing one of the things i've always noticed especially in in the types of environments you're talking about where we're working remotely i don't have access to my garage i'm working out of my truck or off of a utv I forget stuff all the time. So, you know, like when I'm planning a trip to my land, I'm, I'm thinking about it weeks in advance, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. What are the little things I'm going to need when I'm engaging in this project? You know, I'm going to need that wrench or I'm going to need, 
five gallons of water, that kind of thing. So if, if folks want to get out and start trapping immediately this weekend, other than the trap, obviously, what's in your kit? You mentioned the, the cell camera. What's in your kit, really, to be successful and have everything you need? And you don't necessarily need uh, a cellular-based trail camera. You know, you can use your old-school camera with your SD card, right? And uh, if you're on that property and you're not driving two hours, you know, if you're a landowner and you just jump out on your ATV every day, every other day, uh, you don't need to incur the expense of a you know more expensive camera and the data plans and so forth. You're going to need T-posts, obviously, and you know, so basic, you know, all you really need for tools is a, you know, two pound little mini sledge, you know, and, and uh, what the boys down south call a spinner, you know, just a half inch, you know, drive uh, socket. And as one guy told me early on, whether I should include one, he goes, if you don't have a half inch spinner in your toolbox, you shouldn't be trapping pigs. <laughs> um, I said, all right. Um, so anyway, so really basic equipment. And obviously I'll emphasize another point. You cannot be skimpy with your bait. You want to be generous. You want to put a hundred pounds up front. The pigs come in, put 50, hundred pounds out. You want those pigs to really feel at home. And then you can scale back that amount once you hook them. Uh, and then when you make your set, same thing, you really want four or five pounds per pig that you have on camera in that trap so that you can get them all in. You can make sure there's bait to keep them calm and satisfied after they're in to minimize, you know, their, their level of anxiety. Uh, so, well, I was going to say bait used to be cheap, uh, but I just realized I used to pay $8 a bag and now it's sixteen ninety five over at the hardware store. But you know, as a whole and the bigger aspect of trapping, bait is a, is a small cost and, and you shouldn't skimp on it. And another point I'd like to make, you know, now that you, you know how to bait pigs, you can effectively trap those animals. Uh, obviously, you have to dispatch them. In Texas, you can trailer those animals into a slaughterhouse and, uh, and get uh, money for, you know, pounds on the hoof. But in most states, it's illegal to transport. And, uh, and we need to come up with a humane way to, to dispatch those animals. So you have to have confidence in the trap. Yeah, there's no reason you shouldn't walk right up to the edge of the netting and they'll charge you and bounce off. It's kind of entertaining, I guess, in some regards. And then uh, uh, you can get away with a, a simple 22 long rifle. Uh, some people like a 22 Magnum, 17 HMR. Uh, these small calibers are, are more than adequate if you shoot the animal through the center of the brain and it'll kill the animal instantaneously. It'll minimize how much blood is in your trap. Not that that's critical, but certainly you don't want to have an extensive uh, level of blood in that environment if you do want to clean it up. And I've had neighbors' dogs, you know, try to get caught. Literally, it's a great dog trap. Um, we've had dogs push under on the blood trail from dragging pigs out and get stuck in a pig break. So, but anyway, so head shooting, uh, which is technically center of brain for an instantaneous death. And if you're going to dispose of them on site, if you're not going to use the meat, get it away from the stream, right? We don't want decomposing carcasses near, you know, wetlands, maybe, you know, open the viscera on those carcasses. So the, the scavengers like the the vultures can get in more easily and recycle those carcasses. Um, so just be mindful as you dispose of those uh, where they're placed and, and how they can be uh, used by the native animals that uh, would, uh, would scavenge on them. And Joe, I know we've talked about cost share a lot, you know, reminding people that there's opportunities out there now, federal level, to get cost share money. You know, Tony, are you guys working with any programs around the country as far as getting involved in that too? I, you know, I think this could help those 
uh, conservation dollars go a lot further with the type of setups you guys have. Yeah, we, we've been having uh, very good conversations with the soil and water conservation districts across the southeast, uh, in particular in Alabama. They had set up some earlier guidelines, and we call them spec sheets, on what traps they would support. And those are all metal panel based. But they've taken the initiative to work with us now that they've been using and, and testing our trap and recognize that, you know, it is as good, if not better, than the existing trap systems. Uh, and they're going to be integrating our trap into their program. So now if you're paying 20 or 25% for a trap, if our trap is that much less expensive, you know, it, it's really a cost-effective option for virtually every landowner, you know, in the Southeast, and in particular Alabama, with their program, which is, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to those that establish and maintain that it really helps a lot of uh, a lot of needy folks on uh, on on their properties. Well, Tony, I think we covered it all, man. Uh, if you've got a pig problem, or if you don't have a pig problem, you may be on the verge of having one. And understanding <laughs> how to trap these animals, how to manage them, you know, it's not so much about how to trap, but just how to manage their populations is going to be important if you're going to be a good steward of your property, you've done a really good job of getting into some of the minutia of trapping that I imagine just takes years to figure these things out in the field and uh, uh, making the right decisions. I, I feel ready to go out right now, but if folks have more questions about the process of trapping, the the recommendations that you have and that you use in, in coordination with the pig brig system, where should they go online um, to get more information from you guys, whether that's more knowledge on the on the subject uh, or more information about the trap itself? We try to put as much content on our website at, at pigbrig.com as possible. We do have a Facebook group with many of our, our existing trap owners that have tremendous insights, right? So you can post questions there and they'll readily interject and, and give you guidance. Uh, and if not, you can call me directly. Um, you can get my contact information right to the site and uh, call me personally, and I'm, you can explain your scenarios. I work closely right now with guys in Germany and Japan, you know, with various situations they're contending with, and I'll get right on the horn with them and walk it through and try to optimize their, you know, everyone's success. Very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us and, and sharing your knowledge on the subject. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see where, where your technology goes. Uh, bringing technology like this to landowners at, at a more affordable price, I think is going to really help managing these populations and hopefully conserve some of our our native habitats and our native wildlife in the process so thanks for joining us i appreciate you having me joe and clint uh, you guys have a great day thanks tony folks that's going to wrap it up this week appreciate you joining us we want to make it easy for you to listen so here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 again just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt and Land podcast has been brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. At Farm Credit of Northwest Florida, they believe you deserve the opportunity to pursue your dreams to grow, whether that is through building a homestead, a rural retreat, or building an agricultural enterprise. Choosing your lender and applying for a loan can seem overwhelming, but for over 100 years, they've helped people just like you 
eliminate the unexpected and secure financing. They do it by helping you explore your options so you can apply with confidence and get started living your dream in the country. Check them out online at www.gorural.net or give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Great Days Outdoors Magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason-Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also SunSouth, own the best for less. Visit SunSouth for quality John Deere equipment you've been dreaming of or visit sunsouth.com. SunSouth, for those that do. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588 and also Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also Pyramid Air. They believe air guns are for everyone, from big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at pyramidair.com. And also brought to you by Photonis Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. 